Welcome to the future of email. I'm Dr. Matthew Dunn, founder and CEO of Campaign Genius. We help email platforms grow by giving their customers the power of real-time visual media in their email marketing. We believe that email is the critical civil media channel today for business and commerce. This podcast features the leading innovators in email marketing. Stick around to the end. I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the Cutting Edge Podcast on the future of email. Let's go. Good morning. This is Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of the Future of Email Marketing, and I'm delighted to have what I think is the first uh, transatlantic guest, Kate Barrett, uh, the founder and uh, director of eFocus Marketing. Kate, welcome and uh, good afternoon where you are. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's early for you, Matt, but it's uh, later on in the day for me. So I'm honored to be your first transatlantic guest. There that's you, a hard there one you, to there say. You go. That's, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, fill people in a little bit on 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 your company and and your customers, for starters. Absolutely. So I'm the founder of eFocus Marketing, and we are a specialist email marketing agency helping brands to use email more intelligently. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Intelligence Email Marketing Isn't yeah. Dead the Way You're Using It Is. And <laughs> in all honesty, that kind of encompasses our ethos in the business as well. Yeah. And it's really getting people to think about how they best serve their customers in order to meet their objectives, mm-hmm. but putting the customer at the heart of everything. So We've been going since 2013, and I'm lucky enough to have worked with some amazing brands in in my career generally, um, and certainly with the business as well over the last few years. So, you know, big brands over my time from Marks and Spencer, Nissan, Adidas, all the way through to entrepreneurs getting started and everyone in between, and helping solve those challenges. Yeah, yeah. Well. One of the things that always strikes me about uh, when I get a chance to talk with someone at an email marketing agency is that one of the one of the big initial lifts in 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 the specialty that you've got is getting people to understand that just because they send email doesn't mean they're experts at email. <laughs> yes, right? absolutely. It's a lot harder than just hitting the send button. <laughs> well, it it is, but. But, uh, you know, okay, I'll play dumb. Why? <laughs> Go yeah, ah, good question. <laughs> you know, for me, it's really that understanding of why you're sending that email. So many people send emails out because they think they should just to get something out there. And in all yeah. honesty, yeah. if it's not interesting and relevant and valuable, it's more damaging just to send anything out there because you're putting people off. And when they open an email that's not relevant from you, mm-hmm. that can impact what you're doing in the future. So you've got to understand what are your business objectives what are the needs of your audience and how do you put that together to send right message right person right time it's so important to do the planning and not just send for the sake of it understand why you're sending understand why i had i was uh, i was on a i think a zoom call with uh with one of your countrymen della quist and he he made a comment that just really struck me he said you know he said that there were there are times that he recognizes that a particular message, it, it's it. The intent is not necessarily to get someone to jump up off the couch or desk chair and do X right now. It's to it's to continue the relationship to, to you know to stay in their mind and 
and realized it in the future, that message actually was part of why they did get off the couch or up off the desk chair and act. Any comments on that? I totally agree. And that's unusual with, with Della's comments. Love Della. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I honestly, I do agree. And it comes back to knowing your why. There's going to be some emails that you just want people to read, some that you want them to take action on. But there's yeah. also that holistic impact across your marketing. You know, I was dealing with, um, I had a student on one of my courses. I teach a, a few different courses. Oh, yeah. And they were from... Uh, a pizza chain in the UK and they have shops on the high streets or restaurants on the high street, but they also do deliveries. Um, and certainly they can't track that direct impact of email through to a purchase in their store most of the time because mm-hmm. of the, the online offline issue there. Mm-hmm. So for them, what they saw is when they did pull back on email, because that was the instruction that they were given they saw an impact on the sales in store. They saw sales go down. And it just proves that even if you can't directly attribute a sale through to something, Mm -hmm. you've got to have a look at that overall impact. And this is the problem with attribution models nowadays. You know, most people, certainly clients I deal with, come to me and they're using last click attribution. It's the easiest to do. You know, we can all link it. What is it that pushed that final action through to the purchase? And that's great. And it tells you what that final piece was that, push them over the line but it doesn't tell you that they saw a ppc ad or they saw a facebook ad or they saw three emails or they you know they saw all of these other things banner advertising you know tube ad advertising on the trains and things like that on the subway all of these things have an impact and we've got to get better in terms of our data and our technology attributing across different marketing channels but it's so hard to do and there's so many different ways to do it it is hard and and it seems to me that that we we as the recipient we as the you know people with inboxes that are maybe a little overloaded uh we're hitting a stage where we want it to get a bit harder and i'm and i'm taking a sideways jump here to talk about to talk about uh, uh privacy data control third-party cookies, that whole, that whole shift that we're, 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 we're starting, we're putting on the brakes, I'd argue, on, sure, just uh, keep everything about me and I'll say yes to, to everything that says, can I drop, a, drop an idea on your machine? And isn't that going to make that job, for starters, uh, even more challenging, that, that, that correlation job? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the fact that we need permissions for a lot of these things, I think, Firstly, is good because it means that those people we are sending to are engaged with that. They want it. They've said yes. You know, that underlying best practice of get someone to say yes, that they want whatever that is that you're tracking or sending them or or what have you. But it makes it harder for us as marketers to then have those permissions to be able to do those things, which is what we know that consumers want. But because it's so bogged down in the legality and, you know, how many consumers or end users are going to want to read a legal statement or anything like that? They're not. So, again, as marketers, we've got to, you know, if you're an email marketer and you're not part of that conversation about how does that display on the website, you know, have a look at it. Try and get involved in that conversation. Add your expertise to it because what we're doing is selling those people on the idea that, 
They need this piece of technology to get the personalization that they want. And we know people want it. We know people engage with with personalized content. Um, And certainly from where all of the trends are going, you know, if we think about interactive email and AMP, it's all about making an experience for people. And the more personalized you can make it to speak to somebody, then the better all of these things are going to hit. Right, right, right. And it's the 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 question you the question you ask at the top of that long legal document, the way the 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 way you frame this privacy personalization um, boundary, <laughs> you're you're going to get the answer. You're going to get the answer be, based on the on on the way you frame that question. Because um, you're right, we we all want more relevant, uh, which which inherently means more time effective, right? Um, like oh you sent me info about fishing and not about fashion why because you know i could really can't even spell fashion but i like <laughs> fishing right so automatically conserve my time uh interest bar goes up so if you said would you would you be okay with me recognizing your leisure activity sure but then if you say um how do you feel about privacy oh i have absolute one privacy and data control and all that other stuff is like well which of the which of those do you want there Bella. Yeah. So Times we've got to mix thousand. that together. Yes, we do. We've got to find that way to merge this. And what I think is really interesting, whether we're talking about this and getting somebody to sign up or say, yes, you can track me, or whether we're talking about how we connect with our audience in our emails, we've got to think about all of those psychological aspects of how yeah. people work. Yeah. So, um, you know, one really interesting study that I saw, and I'll I'll send you the information about it later, Matt, so maybe we can link to it. But it's about breaking people from their default when they're going through a process. So when they're going through a sign-up form, mm-hmm. their default is to do nothing. So if you offer them a, a checkbox that yeah. is non-checked, you've probably seen this one before, Matt, then yeah. their natural reaction is to do nothing with that and just carry on with the process that they're doing. So if you offer a yes, no option where they have to do something, they have to break their default. They can still choose no, but they have to break the default to actually think about it. You can see your conversions to opt-in increase. So again, just these small tweaks to really think about what is that process somebody's going through? What are they trying to do at the moment? And if we're stopping them from doing that, how do we make it as easy and beneficial for them as possible to take the action that we want them to take. That's what we've got to break it down to. So think about your audience. What do they want? What do they need? And how can you best present that to them? Because your words really make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, and, and, and you're continuing to earn that, um, you know, that often that permission. This is one of the things that always strikes me about email in contrast to a lot of other digital channels. Like, it's a pretty pure play. If if you start sending me drivel, there's a point where I'm going to go unsubscribe, and yeah, or and, just stop engaging, or or stop engaging, and or, yeah. or set up a bozo filter that you know auto auto <laughs> send to trash or whatever, and waste you know waste your time and effort as well. But you really do have to keep earning that uh, spot in the in, in the inbox if, if you're running an email marketing program, yeah. Absolutely. And again, this is where it comes back to your strategy. Um, And it comes back to knowing why you're sending the message, which links down into your segmentation strategy. You know, is this a message that actually needs to go to a wider audience? Or is this something you can go niche? You know, 
not everything has to go niche. Not everything has to go to the wider audience. It depends on your objective. So you've got to understand all of these points to be able to connect it together and then speak to the right people with your messaging. So I, I would I would guess that one of the things that uh, one of the things that your clients end up understanding about the the value prop that that eFocus and your team bring to the table is is tackling that complicated ongoing equation and and getting the you know the feedback loop of what we did last week affects what we're going to do in that decision about send not send today segment this group you know or not tomorrow yes absolutely so yeah we offer the the full range of anything email marketing related so strategy and helping you work out what that plan is and your why implementing it for you and getting those emails out in your esp or actually you know, helping to train your team on some of these key best practices and getting them up to date. Hmm. So, you know, we kind of see that process throughout and it's really important to us to help businesses understand that and bring our knowledge and our passion for email to their knowledge and their passion for their customers and help them find that right middle point. Yeah. And I think, you know, in all of these conversations, we are – I am certainly, I know you are email through and through, you know, it's, it's my absolute passion, but we also have to recognize that again, thinking about the the customer, the end user, they're not just seeing email, they're seeing every other piece of marketing that's going out. They're speaking to the customer services teams, they're going in store to buy something. All of those touch points have to start working together. Um, And if they're not currently working together, again, that's something that that you guys can do is think about, you know, what are the social team doing? How can email link in and support that? How can social help email? We've got to connect these channels together um, and use them at the times for that person where it makes makes most sense for that touch point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's good. It sounds like you've got customers that you've worked with for a fairly long haul as well, because you wouldn't be able to say that without some real experience in, you know, in, in the, in, in the life cycle of a program. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So we have clients that we work with on a, a one-off project basis if someone needs help on something, but we have a, a lovely range of clients that we work with on a retainer basis and help them work through that strategy as they go. So as new things come up, how do we adjust to that? Because you can't just have a set strategy that doesn't react to things that are going on. You know, it's not real life. So you've got to have that reactive. But if we can plan the basics, plan what's that messaging going to be? How is it going to change based on engagement, based on our personas or our segments? So, yeah, planning all of that out and actually helping them implement it um, gives you a lot of thought process around that life cycle. And one thing that I've certainly seen is that, Whenever I get a client to do an exercise of plotting what they have now, so focusing in on email in in this case, Mm -hmm. and plotting what have they got now that goes around each of the five key stages of the life cycle. So acquisition, consideration, purchase and loyalty, um, purchase, loyalty, and then reactivation coming round. Mm -hmm. And, And what you'll find is that there will be a cluster, usually, of emails that usually in the consideration stage um, or in the loyalty stage, you know, a lot of customers aren't even collecting emails before the purchase process to allow them that first stage. So if you can identify that, you can start to drill in as to where you can create a much better experience for your audience. Yeah. And, and the right one for the stage as well. 
Exactly. Right? You know, bla yeah. Blast me with uh, blast me with fake personalization on on you know email number one. I may go wait a minute, hang on a second, right? Yeah. But if I've been a customer yeah. forever and ever, I, I I I'm I'm probably guilty of beating this story to death. But there's a there's a retailer here in the U.S. that um and I have bought a lot of stuff from these guys. I won't say their name. Bought a lot of stuff from these guys over well over a decade. Um, they're 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 a place to get um outdoor gear and clothing. Um. Great source and and less less expensive than the REIs of the world. So I'm, I I really am a loyal customer, and <laughs> yeah. I and they've got a they've got a could be great email program because they they send stuff on a steady clip. You know it's always a sale, so you get used to the I'm going to wait for that. But I'm always struck by I've been buying from you guys for a decade, and you still treat me like I'm I'm one of a zillion in the list, like. There's absolutely no recognition. Yeah. They know they know a ton about what I do and don't like from those purchases. Yeah. None of that's in the email. And I'm just like, what a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm so glad you brought this up because, you know, putting a strategy together is a challenge for a lot of marketers. But what is a massive challenge is data. And there are so many issues within that, whether it's in different places and you can't get to it, or if it's not accurate data, or you just don't have it. Yeah. So, you know, my one of my kind of core phrases that I always say to my clients is, you can't do anything with your email marketing if you don't have data. And that starts with obviously getting getting an opt-in, getting an email address and being able to send to somebody. But it's about understanding them. It's about understanding that there are different types of data that you can pull together to create a picture. Now, whether or not you have a data analyst team or you have artificial intelligence doing it all for you and it's you know all to the extreme, or if it's just you sitting at your desk trying to figure out what the next best trigger is or what the next best personalization is for an upcoming campaign. If you don't understand your data, mm -hmm. you can't drive your strategy forward. There is no strategy in my mind if you don't have data to use. There's only a certain level you can get to. So you've got to think about you know, data that you ask for, so known data, behavioral data, purchase data, Contextual data, you know, what device are they opening on? That can help to push what the tactics are and how you, you know, run that out. Cultural data for different places around the world and what works around the world, for example. So if you can't pull bits of this together, you're not going to be able to advance your strategy. So again, if you're struggling with strategy, go back to your data, love it, understand it, know where it is, and know the power that it can do for you because that alone. Will pop out so many ideas. Nice, yeah, and 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 it forces you to forces you to realize just how how much your marketing email in this case uh, is 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 a child of the whole, right? You're you're not get, you're not going to get all of that data about uh, about all of those uh, all of those folks just from what you're doing in your in your e email platform, whatever the platform. Uh, yeah. Maybe um, I, I'm, I'm curious because you mentioned it, and, and because we just we just finished some uh, some work in our toolbox for ESPs. We just added. In fact, I don't think I've talked about this before. Cool, this Ooh. is like a <laughs> <laughs> We just added a tool to that toolbox that goes inside the email editor, 
that does a seemingly simple thing. It actually allows an email marketer to target creative based on the language preference of the recipient. And they don't have to know it in advance. Nice. Because the email client actually sends the data of language preference. You can say, you know, here's my here's my hero image for the for the um, you know French market. Here's my hero image for you know uh, my Spanish speaking market. And I don't know, I don't have to know where they are, and I don't have to know that language in advance. So here's where I'm going with that. Aside from uh, sne- you know sneaking in the, we've been working as well. <laughs> Pitch. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of implicit data in the world that's that's available and that's kind of part can be part and parcel of what you're doing strategically reactions comments yeah you've got to understand it though if you don't have that view of what you might want to be able to pull in you can't figure out whether or not that might already exist somewhere you know again i see a lot of clients who go right so we want this piece of data we want to know if they're renovating their kitchen let's say Uh and what they forget is that yes you can ask that and there is absolutely a place for asking those types of questions but you can look at their behavior on the website you can look at what they're opening and clicking on in their emails you can you know that there's a lot of ways that you can find that data to pull it into your campaigns without it being that first thing that you thought of so brainstorm it, find where the data is, and then you can use it to much better use, like being able to change that content dynamically using, I'm guessing, contextual data based on where they're they're opening the email. It's actually it's actually little known, but there's actually a language preference that's sent in uh, in a content request header. It's not even location-based. Um, even better. Yeah, even better, even more, 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 more precise because just because yeah. – just because I'm I'm sitting in the U.S. doesn't mean I speak English worth a damn, right? I mean, obviously, we're separated by common language. Yeah. Uh, you being Brit, <laughs> all that absolutely. Stuff. <laughs> um, we've touched on content a little bit, and I I I, I always like talking about that because one of my one of my aims in 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 bringing a variety of guests on here is to is to help businesses understand just how dynamic the leading edge of email is and. And just what a range of possibilities there are, despite the fact that it's been around for a long time. You you mentioned AMP, and not everybody may be familiar with AMP. Can can you expand on that and educate them a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So it's effectively bringing interactive experiences into your email design. So I saw a a great example from McDonald's. Now, I don't know if they were using AMP because AMP is specifically something that was created by Google to begin with in kind of their their testing platform where anyone can pick it up. And it's kind of that open source platform. So I know a lot of other providers have picked that up now um, and hopefully it'll become more widespread with them supporting it. But it's creating those mini website experiences. So the McDonald's example was a carousel that you could flick through in the email. So like you would on a website, but this was in the email to different images of the toys that were in their their Happy Meal boxes at the time. So it meant that you had that much more information in a much shorter space within your email. But it added to the experience. It helped me to understand what was part of that collection that they had. So they used it in a way that helped my experience to deliver that information that I needed to know. And it was a great example of it. But, you know, AMP can be used for completing forms in your email. I believe that there are some tests going on with actually purchasing directly from the email. 
it really allows you to bring it to life. So you can deliver more within the email without them necessarily having to click through, which is actually yeah. the opposite of what we've always done. We've always said, right, we've got to get them as a, a shop window and then click through for more information. This is turning that on its head a little bit, it, using it technology, using design to let them navigate within the email as well. It is. And quick sidebar, I mean, AMP is not an email standard. AMP is a Google Gmail standard. And when Microsoft jumped off the AMP bandwagon a month ago, I think that put a bullet in between AMP size as an email standard. So I, I my, my frank expectation is that there's a high risk of AMP dying. Um, for technical reasons, I'd be fine with that. For uh, improvement of the medium reasons, I'd like to see an, an interactive standard to enable that kind of stuff that works on any email client come along. But leave that aside, despite the fact that it was multiple sentences. Your, uh, your uh, colleague, and I'm going to guess uh, friend, Miss Kath Pay, um, was, I, was, I was in a conversation or listening to her talk about AMP, I think in one of, one of the webinars that her company does. And, and she said, well, I'm not sure I'm such a fan because um, if you're in the middle of an interactive message, you know, the next message is a click away and the inbox full of messages is right there where if I get you to my site, then all of the marketing instrumentation and metrics gathering and uh, like all of the set of controls that I worked my buns off to have on my <laughs> website are there. And I'm not competing with your email muscle memory of next message, next message, next message. Like we've got a, we've got a funny boundary condition to, to play with as, as email becomes richer that how much, how much can we get someone to do in a message? Yeah. Yeah. Fighting that very real challenge of, oh man, I got a, you know, I got another 180 of these yeah. suckers to get, to get through before <laughs> my next cup of coffee. Any, any reactions? Yeah. yeah. Do you know what? There's, there's a few things there. So in terms of why AMP may not take off, I think, yeah, the, the pullback by Microsoft is really interesting, but also it's the third mind type. So in order to actually be able to send out in AMP, your ESP has to support HTML, text, and AMP. And there yeah, aren't yeah. many doing that. Yeah. There are there are some. But, you know, it's another adoption yeah. ladder, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of the benefits of it, so you can do interactive email without using AMP. So just by using your HTML cleverly, you can put in some of these options, like carousels and things like that. You can actually code them into your emails using your, your normal email code. So mm -hmm. that's brilliant. For me... It comes down to, again, what is your objective? What do you want someone to do? And my kind of pushback on, on what you said would be, if somebody takes the action that you want them to take in your email, rather than going through onto your website, if they've taken the same action, then surely that's a good thing. Now, obviously, we need yeah. to see, as yeah. we start to, to use these pieces of technology, yeah. we've got to see, is that the case? Yeah. Or... Does it break the journey too much? And again, this is where I come back to what's your objective? Because if you're using a piece of interactive email design mm -hmm. for no reason other than it's cool and funky and you want to use Tiny interactive toys. email, yeah. Yeah. it's probably not going to help you. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're using an interactive function that, again, doesn't align to what you want somebody to do or what you want to achieve, 
it's not going to help you. But if it's something like the McDonald's example, where it was that quick carousel flip, where I could see what these toys were, that was perfect. You know, all of these things are to enhance your message. And when you know what the right message is for that part of your audience or your audience as a whole, depending on how you're you're segmenting, Mm -hmm. then you can use interactive to support that. Um, And I think that's the key. You know, any design technique, anything that you're doing should be supporting what you want someone to do in your key message. And that's, I think, where the difference will come. Yeah, no, uh, that's actually, that's a really good distinction. Like we may, we may find that there's a, I'm just, this is just occurring to me. We may find that there's a natural sort of boundary. Like I'll do things that are one or two clicks, you know, in the email window. Right. But Fill in a form, maybe maybe too much. I don't know yet. We don't know yet, but it, it and it'll be the trust as well, right? Will we deal. trust yeah. filling in a form <laughs> in an email? So yeah. again, it comes back to psychology. It comes back to what are people willing to do? And we don't have the data on yet. So I certainly haven't, you know, kind of seen yeah. that kind of analysis of the interactivity yet. So I think that's going to be really interesting as we move forward. Yeah, def- definitely. And and with. Uh, you know, with the installed base of email, which is just it's like it's unimaginably large. There's billions and billions and billions, literally billions of devices, billions of clients getting billions of uh, messages. Like there's a there's a huge opportunity to, to to do those experiments and learn and start figuring out, you know, what what what's acceptable, what's not. And I'm going to guess you've been you've been in this space a lot longer than I have. I'm going to guess that. The look and feel of emails, the acceptable level of personalization, the kind of content that works has shifted over time. Any, any yeah, reaction? absolutely. As yeah, as anything does, you know, I think certainly in the beginning it was, how do you know this information about me? This is creepy. Um, and I think <laughs> we're, we're losing that more now. Mm-hmm. There is obviously a caveat to that. There is always a way it can be creepy. There's always a way you can take it too far. If we don't think about the people behind it, that's when it gets creepy. You know, saying, um, hey, I saw you visited our store at 10.02 last Tuesday. Here's a picture of you coming in. That's creepy because right. people don't want to be full of it. If you say, hey, we saw you visited our store last week. We hope you had, you know, a great trip. If there was anything else you needed, you know, you come at it from a, we're following up with you. Does that kind of make sense in terms yeah. of the the difference yeah. there? Yeah. So yeah. I think that's important. It, yeah. And 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 I we, we our consumers are getting more, consumers is a funny word. Users People expect are, it. Yeah. yeah. And they're, we're 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 all becoming more digitally sophisticated, particularly in the last year, um, yeah. be, because we've all made this massive. You know, we, we realize we live online to a to a greater extent than maybe we ever expected. Um, I was I was on a Zoom discussion, um, uh, and Alan from Sellup made an interesting comment. We were talking about creepy, and and I said, well, <laughs> let me give you an example of creepy. You know, you know my 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 uh, my company does. Um, real-time content, I said, Alan, I can put I can put an image in an email that shows the street view of where the recipient is. And he went, ooh. And then he paused and he said, there's a really smart thing. He said, but you know, if, I, if that was on the package notification of where's my package, that might be useful because I might say, oh, wait a minute, that's going to the office I wanted context. in home, right? Context. Ex- yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, geolocation. Human context. Human context, yeah, ge- and purpose. Yeah. 
right exactly and what's your objective how does this help in this situation that's exactly it and you know in terms of those those changes we expect it now so particularly with new data laws and if somebody is saying yes you can have this information Mm -hmm. they expect you to use it to make their life easier or better you know the way that people are interacting now is changing we're using we're using mobile so much more than we were 10 years ago I don't even know what the time frame is for mobiles now but you know apps if you think about the way that apps are designed now you know email is a fantastic tool you know it is it's the underpin of everything you do in your strategy but if we don't think about how we can better serve our customers personalization design we're going to get lost in all of the new technology that comes out eventually it will take a long time to fade emails not dying it's not going anywhere it's the way that you're using it and the people's expectations and how if you go into a website or an app you can find something so quickly that's what we're doing with the interactive element for example we're bringing some of that in so that we're not just a flat message on the screen because that's not where technology is going so step by step personalization understanding our audience getting that right message to them using some of these design tricks to help them navigate information Mm -hmm. it's the change in the way that people want to interact with things and that's what we're we're starting to do so yeah it's an exciting time and I think yeah, you know, like I said, email's not dying. It's not dying anytime soon. It's getting more and more powerful, particularly over the last year. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have kind of realized that it's almost like a, a second coming, I guess, for a, for a lot of people. But we always knew that it was the backbone of everything. Well, and 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 for I I I, I agree with <laughs> I agree with you as well. I'm a fan, but um, and I've pointed this out more than once. Uh, email doesn't have uh, an 800-pound gorilla um, controlling the channel. You look, at mo- you look at social, you look at search. I mean, really, what happened to the web, I would argue? You've got, you've got monopolies in a, lot of those, in a lot of those places. And yep. there isn't a monopoly sitting at the gateway saying, you know, pay the toll uh, to, to cross over the bridge uh, in email. That's we've got an incredible wide ecosystem of companies that that make email do what you want it to do as a marketer. I mean, the number of ESPs that you've probably worked yeah. with in your career is has got to be something else, right? Yeah. And yeah. new ones all the time, and advances and healthy competition between them. But there's not one. There's not one company sort of parked there going, you know. Sorry, we own the inbox. Like, I love the fact that nobody owns the inbox. To some extent, and I I do agree with you in terms of the sending, when it comes to the receiving, yes. not so much. You know, we've got, you've got the dominant big boys, right? You've got Microsoft, you've got Gmail, and you've got Oath now in terms yeah. of, you know, the, the combination of them. And what they say and do goes and this is the issue right they've all got their algorithms behind them as to to what they'll let in if they suddenly go you know what can't do this i'm going to do a healthy disagree with you on that because and i pay a lot of attention to this space because of what we do technologically i mean the 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 sort of big gorilla on the inbox side looks like looks like google with gmail for example but you know what the number one client is for gmail access it's not gmail iPhone. Bingo. 
<laughs> and, who controls, and who controls the technical standards of that Apple. email client? Apple, <laughs> Apple does. But the funny thing is there were out of Google proprietary standards like AMP yeah. and we're back down to common IETF standards, email standards. Apple's, you know, Apple says, well, we can only talk to you like an email client, yeah. um, which, which kind of saves our bacon from monopolistic gatekeeper behavior on on the inbox um i mean because mm. i've i've been worried that that might happen and yeah. frankly i was a little concerned I, I have underlying technical reasons why i think amp is actually weakly constructed but leave that aside i was concerned as it started sort of popping up i'm like wow gmail is is a big inbox provider heck i use i use a, a g suite inbox myself yeah. right yeah. If, if this sticks I don't want to see a level of monopolistic control on the inbox that we see on the website. Uh, but the fact that the actual end uh, delivery is is still uh, fragmented and still in the consumer's control. I can say, yeah. I want to use Apple's client on my iPhone, or I actually use a paid email client, believe it or not. I pay for an email client. I use an email. Wow. <laughs> I know, I know, right? I use an email client called Superhuman. That specifically only works with G Suite and Gmail as a back end. Yeah. But I asked him the question as I was as I was onboarding on the thing. I asked him the question about AMP support, and I got this funny blank look from from the very nice, very well informed uh, young lady who was doing the onboarding. She didn't know what it is. She said, "I'll follow up. I'll get back to you." When she got back to me, she said, "No." And I thought that's interesting. I'm I'm actually paying. Okay. For an even higher end Google specific front end client, but they're like, uh, am, nah. by the way, sidebar, the reason I pay for the, the client's called Superhuman, and I'm gonna give them I'm gonna give them the pitch here. I didn't think I would pay for an email client, because why would you pay for an email client? I've been at inbox zero for five months. I haven't been at inbox zero in the 30 years I've been using email. Are they just not giving you your emails or how are you at zero? <laughs> no, no. They, what, what Superhuman did, and I was really, I was blown away. I did it as an experiment. I'm like, yeah, no way they're going to get me inbox zero. Um, the the user interface has more to, has more to do with what, what the gaming experience is like okay. than, than the Outlook and inbox experience. Sorting, filing, unsubscribing, setting to you know pop back up next week. Those are all keystrokes, and they're all lightning fast. So nice. when okay. I zip through my inbox in the morning, it's like ding, 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 ding. Those are all gone. the The bar got a whole lot higher for relevance. It's going to make me pause and actually read a message. Because I can reflex response, say I'm done with that, on a on a like a two second scan, if that, yeah. of a message, like, and that makes the job for you harder. I would argue it does. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and what it means is that from that first point of the relationship, you've got to be delivering value as yes. much as you can. Yes. Because if yes. they open your first couple of emails and go, no, this isn't for me. Yeah. You may have lost them even quicker than yeah. than we do now. So yeah. especially yeah. with those fast movements, yeah, 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 going to be it's harder. A- got to use our data. Got to know our customers. Got to know our strategy. Well, and 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 this maybe this is my hobby horse, but I'd be curious your reaction. I I I think emails got to grow the heck up in terms of the level of visual communication as well, because if I've got two seconds on a message, yeah. you can get six hundred times as much information to me 
with visual and I will never get through reading because we process yes. faster. Yes. Yeah. There's, I think, you know, again, there's the, the left brain, right brain, right? Some people respond better to visual. Some people respond better to wording and facts. And I think that, with that, the, that's, that's true in terms of process. That's true. In ter- that's true in terms of preference, but in terms of yep. processing, we're actually yep. all visual first because of how the brain is wired. Yeah. And again, until we have that point where all images are turned on in email, even when we've got no internet signal, those images can be downloaded on our mobiles. Because the Mm -hmm. trouble is, if you're in either of those situations and your images are off, you've then lost your your key message. So in terms of the functionality, we still have to think about that a lot. I'm not sorry. I don't buy. I I, I don't buy. I don't don't buy that argument for two reasons. One. Yeah. As a data-driven marketer, if you can't tell yeah. me the data about images about bandwidth available or internet off, we're just talking hypothetically. And two, yeah. we're busting our butts to 5G wire the world. How long do we think this is actually going to be a problem? I get internet on exactly. an airplane. Exactly. That's that's exactly my point. <laughs> yeah. Until we get there with that increased technology, we still have those issues in terms of rendering and when you those emails get to people. You don't you don't so, think we're there yet? No. No, No, 100% not. The amount of times I pick up my phone and I've got bad internet connection and it takes so long for the, it's like the old dial up with the images coming down sometimes. It can be really bad. And certainly in rural areas and there are, you know, whole swathes of of the UK that have really bad internet signals. So it was only the US that had crappy uh, bandwidth. Everywhere. <laughs> We've got a long way to go yet before those kind of challenges are, are solved, I think. But we're working we're working towards it. And it's it's finding that balance, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're we, we we are we are we are getting there. And I and I do think I mean, email's going along for the ride, if you will, but yeah, you, you know, you look at the rise of you know, the rise of bandwidth on a you know megabit per person. Granted, rural, and I and I live in the sticks. It took forever to get high speed out here, but you know that 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 keeps going up. We're at the point of talking about internet access as a fundamental human right, <laughs> like which I'm a fan of. But yeah. it, but it means more and more. We're going to be working on the assumption that our 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 digital channel to those customers that we're yeah. trying to think through strategically is capable of rich. You know, amp, interactive, smart. You know, multi mind. Exactly. And and email was architected when none of that, when none yeah. of that was true. When when the pipe was exactly. tiny, and and we're still doing fairly modest things. To my mind, we're do, we're still doing yep. fairly modest things with with email compared to what you see done with with apps with websites, right? And exactly. maybe that's a benefit to the channel. Maybe it's a maybe it's a, a, a a challenge. I I think there's a. I th- I think there's an opportunity to make email richer and more interesting. I don't know whether we'll advance whether we'll really advance the standards, the common standards of email, much again. I, I <laughs> yeah, I, I just no. don't know. Like it takes a lot to push that rock up the hill. I think yeah. <laughs> it 
we're, we're dealing with close to 20 year old standards now. Like you and I exactly. are working on yeah. a 20 year old standards, like uh, common, common ground. And yeah. we go, you know what? We're still doing new stuff with this. So it's okay. Maybe we don't need to change that very much. Yeah. I yeah. Don't know. It maybe will get the fact- there. It just takes a while, but step by step, yeah. you know, yeah. if you just think back over the last five years, the importance of data and the technology we have to look at that data has come on so much. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, we're going to see that continuing. Yeah. And, and we're going to, and we're going to start to, we'll, we'll have to even more earn, earn that data yes. and the rights to that data as, yeah. uh, as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's good. We're not, we're not done yet kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, exactly. let's get slightly off the email, uh, thing for a second although it's important context so you're you know you're in the uk i'm in i'm in the u.s and we're we're still in pandemic mode and when you and i are, are are talking at this point in time tell me about things there right now yeah so we're we're still in lockdown we're slowly starting to come out of it we've got a few dates in the uk that we're working towards i think the first kind of slight opening up is the end of march so we've still mm-hmm. got uh, a few weeks to go at, at this point when we're recording so yeah, it's it's same as for everyone, right? You're just living day by day and and getting on with things. But for me, um, you know, I know so many people have struggled during this pandemic and it's been, you know, such an awful time for people with, with jobs and things like that. And certainly, as I said at the beginning, I think email has come into its own. Um, you know, for me, it's been a really busy time helping people. I've had quite a lot of new people, yeah, new customers that are new to email that want to get started, you know, new businesses that have got funding over the last year still, you know, so things are still happening um, and people know that they've got to have that digital one-to-one communication and emails, the best way to do that. Um, And then supported by all of their other marketing. So yeah, it's been, it's been busy, um, but it's good. So good to be able to help those businesses, you know, navigate the waters at the moment and, and get something in place that helps people as well on the on the end of it. I was wondering when when we when we started into you know the various lockdowns and and you know mm. grappling with something that we'd never none of us had gone through and no you know no nations had really gone through in living memory, yeah. whether whether email would sort of pop um be, because it doesn't have gatekeepers, because it it cost effectiveness is more in your control, and because in the long run you end up with the you as a business end up with the relationship asset um, as as you build that list, and it looks like it looks like email has has grown in the last year. Is it has has it in your experience? Yeah, I'd I'd say so. Um, you know, like I said, new companies coming through, going right. We've got to get this strategy in place for when we launch our new website, when we you know launch the business. You know, those kind of companies, but mm-hmm. also bigger companies realizing, hang on, we've got a massive gap here, and we weren't able to communicate with our customers directly at the beginning. And I think the biggest thing as well, and you were you were talking about changes in behavior and things earlier, loyalty loyalty has been something that I feel has been disrupted massively within the the lockdowns and the pandemic, because I just think that certainly at the beginning, there were so many logistical issues, particularly when you think about um, actual products and getting things to you. There were so many challenges at the beginning that people had to go to other providers for what they needed. Um, You know, for example, from my side, I shop with a, a particular supermarket here in the UK. 
I do every week. It's just one of those things that you do. And I couldn't get a delivery slot with them. So I had to book in with another supermarket provider. Um, Now, for me, what I found was the experience with the new provider wasn't as good as my current provider. So that was that was great for them. But how many people are switching and going, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. This yeah. is, you know, this the same price or maybe a cheaper price or you know, maybe it's more expensive, but actually the service that you're getting and the understanding and the communication, the customer services is better. So yeah. people have been able to dig into more choices and it's pushed them outside of their comfort zone. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this settles post-pandemic. You know, I know that the way that we work has changed forever. You know, it's going to be a lot more remote working. I think that... Yeah, people have cottoned on to that now that, that it yeah. can work. Um, yeah. It's been that proving ground. But for yeah. loyalty, yeah. will people go back to their originals? Will they stay with new ones? Will they be more open to trying new companies because they've had that experience and hopefully had a, a good experience this time? I, I think there's going to be a shift there again. Um, and it'll be interesting when we come out of this to see what happens. And and it's exposed. And you, yeah, I mean, you just you just keyed something really smart right there, which is that we we sort of see the whole picture of a business, particularly the whole picture of a business's command of their own data and systems and and um, interactions with us in in more stark relief than we maybe did before. But my 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 wife's a, a chef and and uh, she's a big grocery fan. She loves the produce section, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> and and the, the the small local organic co-op where 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 she was a, a you know a staunch loyalist turned on a dime. On a dime when when the pandemic busted out. I was so impressed with them. They're like, oh, we need to do curbside delivery and on, on and online ordering. Okay. Bam. And less than a month later. That was that was in place. It was like, wow, because <laughs> if they hadn't, they'd have been toast. Yeah. But but they exactly. did it, and and meanwhile the um, you know the chain owned by Amazon that's in town, <clears throat> grocery chain, like <laughs> did didn't not did not get that much business uh, from our household because the little locals were like, oh, we got to yeah. adapt. Bam, we'll adapt. Um, yeah. And they could back it with, you know, she'd say, oh, wait, this is, you know, this is the wrong rutabaga or whatever. And she'd call, oh, look, a human being. Oh, hi, Claire. And they're like, oh, and, and yeah. they didn't miss a beat, which, which was remarkable. And I know not every business was able to do that, but I suspect the ones that are going to flourish coming, coming out of this, one, are not going back. And, and, and two, realize that you, you've got to adapt. Restaurants yeah. definitely got to yeah. be feeling this pain. Do you, oh. Any comments yeah. on restaurant business? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was that was massive. You know, I loved that some of them were coming out with, you know, here's how to make our food. Here's a recipe for yeah. you. Yeah. You know, keep you coming back in because I know certainly I've had, um, you know, some delivery boxes and things. I had one last week for my husband's birthday from a lovely restaurant in the area. And it was gorgeous and the food was lovely. But I still missed the ambiance and the experience of going out. But they kept me interested and they kept me there and I think for me again around loyalty if you've got new customers since the pandemic started how are you going to hold on to them when everything goes back to normal when all the high streets open again you know when all the stores open again how are you going to make sure people still come to you so you've got a a, a part to play in mm. 
keeping that loyalty and keeping them with you as a business as well. So yeah, definitely think about some strategies around loyalty. Would it be fair to say that there are some businesses that have earned, managed, figured out how to earn, how to earn even more loyalty during this phase? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. Well. I mean, the, the example that you gave there, you know, the that's kind of going above and beyond, right? I mean, that's the that's the kind of service that only a small local shop can provide. But the fact that they turned around so quickly on the technology, which is yeah. going to be something that they're not experts in, that they've had to do very quickly, yeah, um, you know. They're going to make you feel special. And yeah. uh, now they've done that through an offline means in terms of, you know, the picking up the phone to them or whatever that is. But we can do some of that within email as well, for example. You know, how can you take the questions that you know your customer services team are commonly asked or your sales team are commonly asked? How do you put that into your emails, deliver the information to somebody when they need it rather than them having to ask? So we can pick out all of these things that we cherish about services, that we value about services, that we think, wow, they've gone above and beyond here. How can we adapt that into online to give a similar experience? And that's what I find really interesting. Similar. And in, in, there, there are aspects of, of the online experience that can be even better is not quite the right word. Uh, more informed, um, you know. Back to back to my wife. We'll use her. Sorry, babe. We'll use this as an <laughs> example for a minute. You know, she should have been a gold star customer at the co-op because we've been loyalists for twenty years, and uh, she'd go there almost every day. Um, but I'm not sure they ever had command of the data about what she bought, how often she was there, etc. You know, could they? Yeah. Was there a real motive to do it? No. You know, now that. Now that they've got a year's worth of online orders, almost implicitly, like, yeah, they've got the data. Why? Because she sat there and clicked, going to buy this and six of those and 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 twenty of these. And oh, look, she you know she gets this every week. Oh, wow, that's a lot of coffee for a household of two, right? They know, <laughs> yeah. stuff, they know stuff about us in a data sense now that may not have been accessible in a you know live checkout grocery situation and turning that into a feedback loop of informing their marketing to us, their communications with us is, yeah. is accessible in a way it wasn't in the in the old walk through the line randomly scenario. Exactly. And I think it's really interesting how, you know, if I look at the the UK and kind of history of how people are and you look at the history of a shop, for example, you know, it started off yeah, 150 years ago, really personalized, you know, they were doing everything for you in the shop, you couldn't help yourself, all of that. And we've come through that evolution to the point where we've gone so unfaced to things, you know, with these big chains and things like that, that actually, I think people are craving that little bit more personality. And I, do you know what? Even big businesses can do this again to some extent. So there's a, a a big company in the UK called Marks and Spencer, and they have a loyalty card. So they're collecting data on you whenever you shop in store or online. They're getting all of this together. And what they did was they sent me an email that was, um, you know, welcome to your local store. You know, kind of the Bromley store, which is near me, had a picture of the manager in it, introducing who the manager of that store was. Nice. It had. Um, you know, introductions to different departments and the teams in the different departments. So mm. although it's a big, you know, a multi-million pound business, they managed to 
bring that into life a little bit more. And that's really difficult to do. But again, I just think it's how can we take what people want? They want an experience. They want to feel that they're special. They want to feel that they're heard. They want to feel they're in control. So all of these things, how would you do that in real life? Yeah. Think about that and think about how you can take that inspiration to actually put it online and deliver well, that good. as well. That's good advice. That is good advice right there. And that's a, that's a, that's connecting you back to the manager. That's brilliant, right? Cuz cuz it's the you know, it's the people there not 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 just the physical location and stuff like that that's it's going to going to going to matter to you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, all, all, all sorts of, you know, nor- normal isn't going to be normal, is it? <laughs> it's going to be new. Yeah, and we have to adapt and we have to, you know, just, again, watch our data. What are our customers telling us with their behavior? What are they doing? How can we adjust what we're what we're sending out? So, yeah, yeah it's going to be interesting. As always, <laughs> going to be interesting. Well, look at this, Kate. I managed to uh, I managed to tie you up for almost an entire hour. <laughs> we, we've got chatting. <laughs> oh, it's it's awesome. Hey, let's let's finish if you don't mind. Finish with the with the speed round. You ready? Oh God. Okay, go on. Hit me with it. It's easy. Dogs, cats, both or neither. Mm, cats. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> uh, name a favorite place. Hever Castle. Down in Kent, near me. It's gorgeous. Eve, spell it. Heaver Castle. H E V E R. Heaver Castle. It's oh, uh, you heard of a Henry VIII? Yeah. And one of his wives, Anne Boleyn. It's her childhood home, and it's it's lovely. <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm going to look that up the minute we hang up. Last last one. Favorite book or author? And I know you wrote your own, so I mean, we'll put that in the category. But aside yeah. from yeah, <laughs> can I say that one? <laughs> Favorite book or author? Um, oh gosh, you've put me on the spot. Okay, instead of favorite book or author, what I'm going to do is the book that's on my desk that I'm going to read next. How's that? Yeah. So this one is called Go for No. So it's about getting lots of no's to get you to a yes. Oh, so nice. there we go. That's what I'm reading right now. Again, it's go, psychology, right? Go for no. <laughs> Who's the author? The author is Richard Fenton and Andrea Waltz. Andrea Waltz. I'm jotting that down. Thank you. Uh, it's, great. it's actually a great title. Yeah, absolutely. So it's only a thin book. I haven't read it yet, but it's only thin. So uh should be interesting. There we go. You'll have to let you have to let me let me know what you think of it when you get done with it. I will. Definitely. Well, once once again, my guest this morning has been Kate Barrett, eFocus Marketing. Kate, uh, thank you so much for the time. And it was such a pleasure to 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 spend it with you. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hi, Dr. Matthew Dunn here. Thank you so much for listening to the future of email. If you're an email industry exec or marketer and you're interested in being a guest, please apply at campaigngenius.io slash future of email. If this interview was useful for you, please consider sharing it. Grab a screenshot and post it and text it. And of course, email it to your friends. If you know someone who you think would be a good guest, tag them in your post and include the hashtag future of email. I really appreciate seeing guest suggestions. It helps us a ton to keep the show interesting. We do put out new episodes and new content fairly regularly. To keep up, I would suggest subscribing. Your sharing, your rating, your reviews are the key to promoting to the show and they mean a ton. 
to me and to the team here. If you want to know more, go to our website, campaigngenius.io slash future of email, or follow me on LinkedIn. Search for Dr. Matthew Dunn. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.